Hey, it's good to see you this weekend. Do you enjoy your little snow? Yeah, that's the way we do it in the South. It comes in real quick and goes out real quick. So that was great. Um, it's good to see you this weekend. I want to wish all of you at all the campuses, the facilities, uh, the correctional facilities, Merry Christmas. Hope you have a wonderful holiday. And, um, you know, I want to want to pick up from last weekend. Uh, before I get started, I want to say a sincere thanks to all of the City Hope family for making Merry Christmas Gulf Coast incredible. Uh, everything, you guys just rose to the occasion, all of the, the gifts and then all the gifts for the men in the correctional facilities all over our state, men and women, those were dist uh, distributed this week. You guys rallied up and took care of all that. Thank you so much. Let's give City Hopers a big hand for your generosity. Last weekend, Trey began this series. He opened with an illustration of your car gas gauge. And uh, to find out how many of us run out of gas and how many times. But what we found out is most of you wait until it's on empty or below before you get more gas. The point of that illustration, and by the way, if you missed that message, I encourage you to go back and watch it. A really powerful message. One you could really share with a family member about the Christmas season, too. Just, just a great message. The point of the illustration is that the gas in our vehicles like hope in our lives. So if we're running our lives on empty, no hope, it's easy for us to be discouraged, stay insecure about reaching our daily destinations, our purpose, and the purpose of sharing and giving away the love of Christ, especially during this season of the year. Here's why. We are the physical representatives of Jesus on the earth. Your block, your community, your work, your school, we represent Jesus. So we, we can't live with hopelessness because we represent Jesus Christ. The scripture in Colossians 1.27, I want to pull out part of that, and it said, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus left. When he left, he left his ministry, and he said, I'm, 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 you're going to do greater things than this. And then he said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The verse says it this way, because Christ in you, the hope of glory. In, in other words, here, let me paraphrase it this way. The hope of our world is the love of God in and through the local church. You're the local church. If you're a believer, you're the local church. Today, over 7.5 billion people live on the planet called Earth. And it depends on who, where, you, where you read, but 1 to 2 billion are Christians. But the, let's just say uh, that there's 1 billion Christians on the Earth. We can see more people saved than Jesus did in his 33 years. We can see more people healed than Jesus did. We can see more lives touched. We can see more nations reached than Jesus did. Christianity now spans the ages and the nations if we assume the responsibility to carry on the hope of his glory. So what am I saying? I'm saying now is the time for us to step up and not only experience the love of God, but to express it to people that desperately need it. But let's say that I'm wrong. Let's say that the hype of our world says, it depends on which camp you're in, 
Maybe the hype of the world says, no, the, the UN is the hope of the world. They're going to get everything resolved and there'll be peace. The government is the hope of the world. The stock market is the hope of the world. Hollywood is the hope of the world. You see, in naming all of these options, who is the hope of the world? Who? It's not a trick. Who? Jesus Christ in you. In you. So, for that person on your block, in your community, in your school, at your workplace, it, it's, it's not somebody else, it's you and me. We are the appointed ones for this time. We're, we're what the Bible calls the body, and what that means is it's us. No one else because we represent Jesus on the earth. So therefore, we need to keep our tanks full of hope. But to keep our souls full of hope, we have to have faith first. So I want to take a second here, and I want to give you an understanding of faith. And we'll look at Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So let's take it apart in the original language and let's get a really good definition that we can work with and make it applicable to our lives. The word faith in the Greek is the word pistis, and it means a firm persuasion, confirmation, belief, so that I'm convicted about something. Not hyped up, not following the, the latest trend, but I am convicted about something. So faith is the substance. The word substance comes from two root words in the Greek, and, and it, it, it makes up this. It takes two words, the word under and the word place, and it means, it means to place a foundation under your feet. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. That phrase hoped for is one word in the Greek, and it means to put your hope in someone. So look, look, let's just paraphrase that verse again. Hebrews 11.1, 1. my conviction about something is placed under my feet as a foundation that I may put my hope in someone even though the evidence of things are not seen. God is the platform for things that I hope for. Faith doesn't just hope in something. Faith is focused on God. Faith is my conviction about God. Even though the evidence of things are not seen, in other words, the, I have the conviction to act upon what is not visible. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith, not by sight. They are mutually exclusive. So here's what that means. If you have sight, then you don't need faith. If you don't have sight, you need faith. Then Jesus said this. He said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm, I'm there in the midst of you. So let me ask you, how many of you believe all the campuses correctional facility. How many of you believe that Jesus is here right now? Hold your hand up. You can't see him though. But your faith gives you a platform to believe what you can't see is real. That's how it operates. Then Jesus said this. He said, I say to you that if two or three agree on the earth concerning anything they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Now, there's more than two or three of us gathered at all of our campuses, our, our City Hope family. But let me, let me just tell you this. I could give you a long, long list of just people in our church, men and women who are physically sick, some who are in such severe pain, some that are fighting cancer, some that without a miracle, they're not going to live very long. I could give you a list of children, children, five, six, eight, ten years old, that need God to touch and heal their little bodies. 
I could even give you names of children in our church that are sick, that have cancer, and need a miracle from God. So here's my, how how many of you believe that Jesus can touch those lives today? Hold your hand up. Okay, so you have a platform to believe, so what do we need to do? We need to pray. So here's what I want you to do, right where you are, at all the camps, I want you to join me. You don't have to know the names of all these individuals, God does, but let's join me and let's pray for them. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ took stripes upon his back, and by those stripes, we proclaim our healing. We thank you, Lord, that those who are sick, those who are, that have infirmities, those who have cancer, that, Lord, it is not too hard for you. And we stand in agreement as a church, and we ask you for divine healing. We ask you to heal them and make them whole, to remove the pain, to remove the cancer, to raise up the children, to raise up the babies that are sick. We ask you as a church, because we believe and we have faith in your word, that you're the healer. In Jesus' name. And the church said? And the church said? So, God wants us to move into a new understanding of what hope really is. And to do that, you have to recognize where hope comes from. See, God loves you. God thinks about you constantly. He's he's concerned about every single detail of your life. I had someone come to me for prayer a while back and said, you know, this is so insignificant with so many people with major problems. I said, everything in your life is important to God. Every detail. And and, and so what what he wants you to to know is that every detail in your life is important. and, And this is where we find the treasure of hope is in God. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord God, the thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And by the way, his hope is not in our world's hype. His hope is in the power and life of God. But we can confuse our hope with God with hope in something else. We can translate what should be hope in God and put it somewhere else. And, And why do we do that? Because of hype. It's easier to hope in something we can see rather than hope in something we can't see. And that's really important to understand because where your hope is, that's what you will worship. If, if your hope is in God, you worship God. If it's in money, you're going to worship money. If it's in a person or a relationship, you're going to worship that person or that relationship. Whatever we put our hope in other than God will fail. You understand? Anything we put our hope in other than God, it's going to fail. It cannot last. The good news is, is there's the path from hopelessness to hope. And the path to walk into the fulfillment of hope is to walk in what he has given us. In other words, we must transition from wishing to hoping. We all know the song, we wish you a merry Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. We, we wish you. No, no, you see, when you wish, it's based on a false premise. When we hope, we're hoping in a person, Jesus Christ. We want to have a Merry Christmas because of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where I want to go with this. I believe the way we stay full of hope, hoping in the person of Jesus Christ, is by staying connected to a certain place. So let me explain. In Matthew 1, verse 22, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, right now in your life, you may not feel like God is with you, but, but you, you understand his presence in your life has nothing to do with your feelings. Your emotions are susceptible to all kinds of influences, and often your feelings are unreliable. We, we, 
often what we feel is neither right nor, nor real. Your emotional state can be because of, of something in the past, something that hurt you, or hormones, or medicine, or food, or lack of sleep, or tension, or stress, or even fear. So God came to the earth so you know he's always with you no matter what, what you're going on in life, whether you feel it or not. The night Jesus was born in Bethlehem, no one knew the world would never be the same again. When he was born, the world will never be the same again. The Father's plan for the presence of his Son on earth started in a place within a person to fulfill his promise. It started in a place within a person to fulfill the promise of the Father. I believe there's significance in the place where this started. And so I want to look at this place called Bethlehem. When Jesus was born, the world at large didn't even notice Life went on like nothing even happened. People not looking for him, and therefore they didn't know he was born. Today, many people are not looking for him. They do acknowledge the most popular Christian holiday of the year, but they're looking for presents to receive or to give. Only people who knew he was being born made the decision to be in Bethlehem on the information they had. So he's born in a specific place. Not so important the stable or actually a cave in the side of the mountain there in Bethlehem, but the city, the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We all know the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and I think that's why so many people know of Bethlehem is because of the song. This little town's about five miles south of Jerusalem. And, 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 and you, have to, you have to understand, the Bible says Mary and Joseph left Galilee and went up to Bethlehem. It takes on a whole new meeting because this little town is actually in a cradle by itself. If you stand in Jerusalem and you look around you see the, the, you see the trees and the grass. You see all this. Literally, you go over this mountain just minutes out of town, and there's the wilderness. In that little place south of Jerusalem, there's this little town called Bethlehem that is literally a cradle that has the growth and has the, the greenery and the trees there. But once you step right over, then you're in the wilderness. So this is the place God chose for the Savior of the world to be born. Why is that so important? Why, are, why do we make such a deal out of it? Well, you have to look at what Micah said. Micah said in 5 and 2, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Michael called, Micah called Bethlehem the least of Judah. So God is choosing the non-obvious, this little town on the road to nowhere at the edge of the wilderness of Judea because God likes surprises that speak to us through situations and out of certain places. I don't know if you've ever noticed when God speaks to you, a lot of times it's out of these awkward little places and situations. It's, it's not like he's riding it in the sky for everybody to see. It's with these special places. Bethlehem is a special place. We know it's the hometown of David. We know the story of the prophet Samuel who comes to look for the next king. And Jesse lines up the sons and he said, is there another one? Is this all of them? He said, no, there's a little runt out in the fields in the wilderness taking care of the sheep. They bring him in and he said, this guy's going to be the next king of Israel. This is where the prophet chose someone because of their heart, not their statue, not their appearance. That's why Bethlehem is the least of Judah. And then you have a virgin named Mary who lived in a, in a one-horse town called Nazareth with just a few hundred people, and she becomes, she becomes the carrier of, of the Savior, and she's going to be in Bethlehem when it's time to give birth to the Savior. God designed all this. In other words, here's what I'm saying. Bethlehem is a place of provident, providential design. It's a place of providential design in people's lives. 
So God literally used that little out-of-the-way town for great people to come out of to affect our lives. The reason the place is so important is because there is nourishment, life, and encouragement in Bethlehem. What does that mean? There's hope in Bethlehem. Nourishment in Bethlehem came from the grain and the wheat that produced the bread to eat. The, the, the life came from the wells. Remember, you, you've heard of the wells of Bethlehem because David's couple of his guys went in and took water from that well. It's, it's famous, this well of water in Bethlehem, because it brings life. And then encouragement in this little town is because of the solitude of peace in this little cradle out of the midst of the hustle and bustle, bustle of the city and out of the, the dry place of the wilderness. Here's this little cradle that's sitting there that has such peace. The place of Bethlehem, then, is symbolic in every one of our personal lives. So why do I need Bethlehem? Why do I need a Bethlehem? Three reasons. Let me show you. Here's the first one. Bethlehem is where promises are kept. We all know the feeling of disappointment by broken promises. You ever had a promise broken? Okay, I'm the only one. Okay, man, I got the wrong end of that deal. Uh, Bethlehem... God made promises, and he kept every one of them. 4,000 years before Christ was born, he said the seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That, that took place right there, that promise. 2,000 years before Christ was born, he, God promised through Abraham that all the nations would be, on the earth would be blessed. That, that promise was kept there. 1,800 years before Christ was born, a man named Job said, For I know my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at, at last on the earth. That promise happened to Bethlehem. A thousand years before Christ was born, a prophet named Nathan promised that out of David's life, the Messiah would come. You read the lineage of David, you're going to see that promise. 700 years before Christ was born, the prophet Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That promise is fulfilled there. 400 years before Christ was born, Malachi said one would come and represent God as a forerunner of the Messiah himself. 15 months before Christ was born, Elizabeth is pregnant with that forerunner, John the Baptist. Nine months before Jesus was born, Mary's were told she would carry and give birth to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So time and time and time again, the Word of God resounds with a promise. We need Bethlehem, the house of bread, because it's a place where God says, I keep my word, I keep my promises. I keep my word, and I keep my promises. And you, and you see, you say, well, well how, how do we know that's for sure today? In Matthew six thirty three, listen. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's Jesus. And then they said to him, well, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Here's what that looks like. Listen. We who are believers, if you're a believer, that means we are born again by the word of God, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed that lives and abides forever. It's life to those who find it. It's health to their whole body. It's purer than silver. It's better than gold. It's sweeter than honey. And you want to know the P.S. to that? He will always be there for you, and nothing can separate you from his love, and he will never leave you. So what am I saying? Everyone needs to encounter a Bethlehem where the word of God is being fed and the promises are kept. Here's the second thing. Bethlehem is where we relate to God. God loves us so much that he made a decision he would relate to us personally. You see, before Jesus, it was hard for the average person to relate to God. So here comes Jesus. Christianity is birth. Christianity is the only faith where, God, where you can relate to God, and he's involved in that relationship. It's active. It's both ways. 
So Jesus came to earth as a human being. He came so you and I would have someone who understands what life is like. That's why the Bible says he's moved with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, he knows what it's like when you walk in stress. He knows what it's like when you walk with a limp from past experiences. He understands when you have to depend on a crutch just to stand. He understands the hurt, the pain, the rejection that drained hope out of your life. Jesus knows what it is to weep over disappointments, to be overwhelmed by grief. He, he, he knows what it is to have the family not understand you. He knows what it is to have the Father turn his back on you. He knows the feeling of spending days in the wilderness. Every aspect of life, he understands. Most of us have experienced some of these things, but he understands. It, it, it reminds me of the story of the woman at the well. Do you remember her? She had gone from relationship to relationship. She's hopeless. But Jesus understands our need for hope. In John 4, 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? See, a well is an issue of water from the earth. In other words, it's a pool of water fed by a spring. A good well brings life, life-giving water. When you drink from a good well, it will quench your thirst. A bad well either brings bad water or no water, leaving you thirsty. The water in this story represents love that brings affirmation, which produces hope. This woman has no hope. She's gone from person to person to person, and she has no hope. When you continue to seek water, love, affirmation from something that can't or won't give it, then it's like one seeking water from a bad well. And God puts people in our lives with the power to affirm and encourage us and love us in a special way. But sometimes the people, they may have empty wells or they're unable or unwilling to fill you up. That's what she was doing. So we end up thirsty because the well we're trying to draw from is empty. And so many people have been empty so long, they don't even recognize the unmet needs in their own lives. Our society as a whole has a lot of people that are filling their lives with anything and everything they can get their hands on trying to relieve their emptiness, the emptiness that's produced hopelessness. Truth is, many people don't even know how empty they are. But the day you realize that you're empty, your well is empty, it's time for a visit to Bethlehem. But understand, a well is not the source. A well simply gives access to the source. So where do you go when you need a drink from the water of life? Do you go to the person that's going to encourage you and pat you on the back? If you're in the middle of a drought and your well doesn't seem to satisfy you, do you go straight to the source or do you keep going around the source? Because if you go straight to the source, his love will bring healing to your soul. The woman at the well encounters Jesus, the source of living water. Jesus opens up the doors of love to her, accepted her, affirmed her without judgment and condemnation. Jesus is the source of hope, not wishing, but trusting having faith in God for the future. So everybody needs a Bethlehem because we need a place where we can drink from the water of life, our Savior, and we have his word, his living word of promises. Thirdly, Bethlehem is where peace is offered. In Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You know, there's no ironclad rule that since Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the earth would be locked up in peace today. That, that, that's, that's just a pipe dream. When he came, he offered his peace, but the world had to receive the peace. He offered peace, yet many still refuse it. 
In the past 5,500 years, there have been almost 15,000 wars. We humans don't really seem to be very good at living at peace with one another. And then we got real smart in the early part of the 20th century, and we thought, well, we just educate, then the wars will vanish. And after two world wars among the, the most educated nations on the planet at that time, the optimism vanished because an educated mind not automatically will produce a peaceful heart. So here's what I'm saying. What the world needs is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of peace. Peace with God, peace with, with, within my heart, peace with other people. And Jesus is going to teach the way of peace, and he's going to empower us to live in peace. But what is peace to you? Is it when the baby's asleep? Is it sitting on the bank of the river when everything's quiet? Is it a peace treaty? No, the peace the Bible talks about is, is a vertical peace. Isaiah said, you will keep him, he's talking about God, God, you will keep him, us, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed or fixed on you. So God will keep the person who's focused on God in perfect peace. How? By vertical peace. When I know vertical peace, I can experience horizontal peace. Horizontal peace is where I live. It's where I work. It's where I raise my family. It's where my marriage exists. It's where I go about. So the vertical peace is going to allow me to live in the horizontal peace. The question is, if you're not living in Bethlehem, where are you living? If you're not living in Bethlehem and know the, experience the promises of God, know the life-giving Savior, and, 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 and realize that you can live in peace, then where are you living? There's a wonderful romance in the book of Ruth, and when you look there, you'll see the setting of this romance is in Bethlehem, the house of bread. That's what it means, house of bread. The characters in the story is Elimelech and his wife Naomi and two sons. The famine came into the land of Bethlehem, the house of bread, and, the, and famine moves people closer to God or away from God. And what naturally causes a famine in the Middle East is no water. So without water, a famine really becomes a serious problem very quickly. A spiritual famine means no water has filled the lives of God's people. So they're dry or they're dying. And they will either move closer to God or they move to Moab. Moab is the land of the cursed. The Moabites was started when Lot and his two daughters, he had a relationship with them and had sons by his two daughters, and the Moabites came out of one of those sons. So in this story, they moved from the blessing of the house of bread to the cursed land of Moab. And, and, and what, it, what it means there is being cursed is there's, no God, there's none of God's blessings there. That's what makes it cursed. There's none of God's blessings there. It's whatever you do. It's whatever you can accomplish. The land of the curse. So they move from the blessing of the house of bread to the cursed land. And there, Amalek, the husband, dies. The two sons marry Moabite women. And then the two sons die. And, and now Naomi has two daughters-in-law. And she hears news from Bethlehem. Ruth 1.6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab, the land of the curse, that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So watch the story. She left the house of bread. A famine moved her away from God into the curse of Moab where there's no God, none of God's blessings. There in Moab, Moab, she hears that the Lord has visited Bethlehem and is giving them fresh bread. But now she's lost her purpose. She's lost her concept of God. Life is painful. It's hurting. She's got all these issues, but she's still looking for a place. She's been living in the place, but she left the place and went to the land of curse. I wonder how many people have left the house of bread and are looking for truth but living in Moab. 
I mean, we live in the Bible Belt, and yet that would, you would think, but I, I can tell you there are hundreds and thousands of people who have left church and left God, and they're living in Moab, and the blessings are not there, and they're living in Moab. But in this story, the word got out, the rumor got out, hey, there's bread in the house. What people in Moab need is a Bethlehem. They need the promises that are kept. They need a relationship with a life-giving Savior. They need peace in their lives. So when people in Moab see, hear, and know there's, there's a place with fresh bread and living water and peace, that gives them hope. We're all looking for hope. But, but you see, people want fresh bread. They don't want religion. People are sick of religion. They want fresh bread. They're not interested in personalities. We've seen personalities come and go. They're not, they're, they're not looking for political correctness in a pulpit. They're not looking for emotionalism in a pulpit. The only reason people will leave Moab where the blessings of God are not is if there's bread in the house. Moab is not the answer. And what they're doing there, this family may have started because of the hype because there's a famine, there's a tough time of dryness in the house of God, and yet over in Moab, in the world's hype, in the world's system, maybe that's where we need to be. No, they need to connect to Christ to be full of hope. So, so listen to me. Believers, if you're a believer, your Bethlehem is your church. Let me tell you what your, how you know if it's your church. Your church is where you're fed the Word of God, where you worship the Savior, where you receive the peace of God, and you go out full of hope. That's your church. That's your church. So my question is, will your family and your friends, your co-workers, find Bethlehem in you? If they do, that, it will give them hope. Here's why. Because peace is the platform of your witness. Remember, we're the representation of Jesus to the earth. That's us, believers. So if I have peace, peace is the platform or it's the influence of our witness. Paul even included it in, the, in, the, in Ephesians 6 where he lists the armor. In 6.15 he said, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why? Why is it so important that we have inner peace? Here's why. If you're not walking in peace, you're not thinking about sharing the hope of God. You're distracted. You're in stress. You're, you're, you're fr- if you're not walking in peace, you're not thinking about sharing the hope of God. You're not thinking about inviting someone to Christmas at City Hope because that whole service is designed to reach people that need hope, that need, that need God, that need to come out of the dry Moab and come into the blessings of God. And when you're walking in peace, you think about people. Your compassion goes out. You care about them. You, you, you express love to them. You encourage them. You pray for them. You care about their souls. You, you care about their condition of their marriage. You, it, it goes out because you're full of the peace of God. Without the peace of God, though, we have no witness. We have no influence. We, we, we can't fulfill the commandment to reach people. Watch what Paul did. He wrote Ephesians knowing the Roman soldiers, their uniform, but he knew that they had cleats on the bottom of their shoes. Why? Because this army knew that they could advance going uphill against the enemy. They can still advance going uphill on the enemy. Church, that's you and me talking to me. We'll never advance above the hype in our society until the gospel 
is something that they don't have and they see it and they want it. Until we advance, see, here's what you have to see. Until we advance with peace and they see peace, I can't give them the peace, but I know who can give them the peace. When I advance against that hill, and today a person that has a full tank of hope is full of peace. And if you have peace, listen, you are a precious commodity to people in your lives. God will put people in your path at work, in the neighborhood. He'll put people in your path because you are that precious commodity because you have peace, because you believe in the Word and the promises of the Word, because you know this life-giving Savior, and because you encourage yourself in the peace of God that passes all understanding. But you can only give away what you have. And if we don't have peace, we can't give it away. If we don't have peace, we, we, we kind of look like the rest of those folks that are hopeless. We can talk it, but there's nothing to, to bear witness. I'll show you what I mean. The disciples couldn't speak peace to the storm while they're in a boat because they didn't have peace on the inside. The inside of the disciples in that boat looked like the raging sea they were on. But inside of Jesus, it looked like a calm sea, perfectly still. So what did Jesus do? Jesus spoke peace, and then peace broke out. Peace broke out. Our mission as a believer is to be a distributor of the peace of Jesus. So how do I get this peace? I stay full of the hope of Christ. I stay full of the hope of Christ. And listen, listen. When you do, others will hear, others will see that there is bread in your house. When they know there's bread in your house and they're watching you live in peace in a chaotic world, they will come to your Bethlehem because they all need a place of providential design. They all need a God that keeps his promises. A Savior that brings life-giving water and encouragement in the peace of God. (coughs) Excuse me. Bad time to get choked up. So do you understand what I'm saying? (coughs) There are people that God will put on your heart See, we, we design next weekend to reach people. Not to condemn people, but to reach people that are living in a dry Moab. And when you approach them about coming, and they know you have that peace, and they, they know that you have life, when they know there's bread in your Bethlehem, then they'll come. And when they come, our prayer is that the peace of God in this room will be like the news that Naomi heard. Oh, there is peace. I thought church was just about religion. I thought, I thought all of this stuff, and all of a sudden their eyes are opened to receive Christ, the hope of glory. So I encourage you, I encourage you, if you do not have hope, 
If you do not have peace, you can change that today. I promise you, there, there's, there's not a, a standard you have to walk through and hoops you have to jump through to receive it. I'm telling you, you can receive that peace today. And I'm telling you that when you're full of that peace, your heart will go out to people that are in a dry land, hopeless. And you can be that representation of Jesus. And listen, when, when they come here, when they come to the campuses, we let the Word of God and the presence of God do the rest. We don't manipulate. We, we, we don't put our hands on it. We let God do the rest. Because you see, when God does the rest, it's true change. And when true change happens, now a person has life. And they have peace. And when they leave here, they're encouraged. They have hope. Can you imagine what it would be like if the church... The big C church was full of hope. We change our world. We change our world. We stay full of hope by staying connected to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you so much for sending your son. And we thank you for the hope that you will give us in your son. And I pray that you'll speak to our hearts and those that are walking without peace, fill them with peace. Those who are walking without hope, let them become full of Christ today. But also, Lord, challenge us. Bring to our remembrance people who are hurting, who are hopeless. Not to condemn them, not to judge them, but to realize they need to drink from this fountain. They need the word of the living God. They need the peace, Jesus, your peace, to live and walk in. So, Lord, we take this week coming up and we commit it to you. And we submit our lives to be that representation of your son, full of peace and full of love and mercy to a world that needs to see the difference and hope over hype. In Jesus' name.